we often think the only way that the only way we're going to be able to live this life and 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 know peace and know thanksgiving is for God to take our problem away. But like we've said so many times before, if that's the requirement that you have for your God, then you're serving a small God. Hi there. Welcome to this week's episode of the His Hill Podcast. My name is Kelly Darty, and I'm your host. Now, today's episode is a little bit different in that it's actually a recording of a Bible study that I led in our house a few years ago when we were living in Louisiana. So the recording itself won't be as good as the other recordings you've heard on, on this podcast. That's because I was using an iPhone to record it, and I hope you're okay with that. The reason why I wanted to play it is because today is Thanksgiving. And while we were living there in Louisiana, going through some personal trials, I had to ask myself, what does peace and thankfulness really mean for the believer? So I hope you find this to be a blessing. The study certainly was for me. So join me as we look at Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. Let's look at our passage. It starts Luke chapter 2, verse 22. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be, to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul, to the end that, th that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phineal, of the tribe of Asher, and she was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So the reality of Christ is what we're talking about. So the first thing is, let's look at the reality of Christ after a search 
of relief. In verses 22 to 32, we meet Simeon. And we see in verse 25 that he was looking for the consolation of Israel. That word grabbed my attention, so I looked it up. And the consolation means the encouragement or the comfort. He was looking for the encouragement or the comfort for Israel. Why would there need to be comfort or encouragement for Israel? We know the history of Israel. You know, we know of the, the slavery and we know of the, the salvation from Egypt. We know of them becoming a great nation and falling and going into captivity. We know of the horrible stories of the siege that they had to, that Jerusalem had to go through. We know from historical accounts what it would have been like to be taken captive by the Assyrians. The, it, it, would, it would have been uh, degrading. They took them away from their home in, in just horrible ways. They had to live like that. We know of the, the, um, the remnant that was allowed to return. We know of, you know, always not quite, you know, always trying to obtain what they had lost, never quite getting back to that status. We know about the 400 years of silence after Ezra and Nehemiah. And then comes John the Baptist. There's been silence, and this, this man, Simeon, has been looking for the encouragement. Now, can you imagine? You know, we get so, you know, in our own society, we get so depressed sometimes. We watch the news, we listen to the news, we, you know, we, we go online, and we, we talk to each other, and we get frustrated. You know, how many times does our conversation about our society start with, man, aren't things great? But, you know, more, it's, it's, it's more like, you know, man, can you believe this? How bad is it going to get? And here's a man that's been looking for the encouragement, looking for the comfort. I wonder sometimes in our own life, how many times that becomes real for us. You know, we go through things in our life and we're looking for the encouragement. We're looking for the consolation. We're looking for comfort. We find the outcome for Simeon in verse 29. The outcome of this search is now, Lord, you are releasing your bond servant to depart in peace according to your word. The outcome of this search for consolation, this encouragement, this comfort, we find in verse 29 is that of peace. And it's peace along with ready to die. Now I'm ready, Lord, because you have shown your encouragement. You've shown your comfort. Now, there's some thought that because he was ready to die, he must have been an old old man at this time, but there's no proof of that scripturally, though uh, traditionally, historically, historical tradition tells us that he was an old man. Uh, some believe maybe somewhere around 113 years old. Now, think about that. If that tradition is correct, can you imagine spending 113 years looking for comfort, you know, looking for encouragement, consolation? I, I, I can't fathom that. Turn with me to John chapter 14. John 14 is part of the upper room discourse, and Jesus is explaining a few things to the disciples before he's arrested, knowing what's about to happen. He wants to, he wants to cover some things. And in verse 27, he says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. How often are we looking for peace as the world gives? Colossians 2 Verse uh, 10 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy, empty deception, according to tradition of men, elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. 
do we find that we are pursuing what the world has to give? And I'm not talking about, you know, the obvious things. You know, that, that we always think, oh, that when we think world, we think these horrible things over here. I'm talking about just the, the world's wisdom, the way the world approaches its problems, the way it deals with, you know, the trials of life. Do we do the same thing? Are we taken captive thinking just like the world? Or is there something different about the way we think, the way we live? Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. If So that's interesting. I never really saw that before till now. If we are going to know the peace that Christ wants us to know, it is not going to involve being having a troubled heart. It will not involve being fearful. It will involve scary things at times, but not a troubled heart, not being afraid. Look, I, I have the verse up here on the screen. Look, look at how I've underlined a couple of things. Peace. Now, Jesus is about to be arrested. There's a mob mentality is about to take over. It's going to be chaotic. He, there will be a kangaroo court, and he will be murdered. The ones he's talking to will be afraid that they're next. That's why they're hiding in the upper room in a little, a little later. <coughs> and so he says this, peace. Peace I leave with you, but then look at this, my peace. Now we're starting to see something here. What's interesting, this is the same word, peace here is the same word as what we find in verse 29 in our passage. It, it's the same word, and we start to find out that here peace is not something but someone. This is literally his. This is of him. My peace. And, and why would I say that? Well, if you go back and you look at the, uh, the previous verse, then you find that he's talking about, um, he's talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit. So the peace is a reality of his presence. The peace is him. But so often this is our attitude and I can handle it. I know that was mine one time. I had gotten in an accident down here on Char Charity Street. For those of you who know where Charity Street is. And uh, I was, I think, 16 at the time. And it was my fault. Uh, I was driving mad. And I pulled out in front of a car. And, uh, and it, was, it was a pretty bad lick. Uh, I got the ticket. And my day for court came. So city court downtown here. I, you know, that morning I got ready, and before I left the house, Dad asked me, son, do you want me to go with you? And I said, no, Dad, I can handle this. So he said, okay. I drove downtown, and I got out of the car, and I walked toward court, and here were all these people standing outside. You know, I mean, it was a crowd of people standing there waiting for the doors to open up, and I looked around and found out how many of my friends <laughs> had court dates that day. And, uh, but I also noticed that they all had their parents with them. And I started to get nervous. And one of my friend's father could tell I wasn't handling this so well, so he, he called my dad, he went next door, before we had cell phones, he went next door and he called my dad, and he says, listen, I, I think it'd be a good idea if you came down here to be with Kelly. And dad jumped in the truck, he was just a few blocks away, he was at, at uh, the hardware store and he came over and as soon as I saw my dad coming down the sidewalk, I remember, I remember just an incredible peace coming over me. Not because, not just because I was Phil's son. And not just because Phil had taught me right from wrong. 
Okay, so I, it's not just because of what I knew in my head, but because of the presence of my dad walking to me at that time. And it didn't change the fact that I still had to go before the judge, but I got to go before the judge with my dad. We went into a room, sat down with all the people, all the staff in there, and the judge was at the end of the other table, the other end of the long table, and my dad sat next to me, and, uh, and there was peace for me to deal with that. See, Christ was peace, and this was Simeon's reality. The reality of Christ was peace in the midst of this long search for comforting and encouragement. Then we move on and we look at the widow in verses 36 to 38. And here we see the reality of Christ for a widow of many years. We know some things about her. According to verse 37, she was a widow to the age of 84. After only being married for seven years, according to verse 36. So she was married as a young woman. And then she spent, after seven years of marriage, her husband dies, and she lives as a widow for the rest of her life. Now, something I found out in studying this, uh, Warren Wearsby said this, that widows did not have an easy time in that day. Often they were neglected and exploited in spite of the commandment of the Lord. Okay, so this was a rough life, and look how long it was rough. Look how long. You know, I, I, there's a, a couple of people that um, Arlene and I know, a couple of women that we know that have lost their husbands. And it's an incredibly agonizing, lonely thing for them. It's, it's just, it's hurtful to watch them have to go through it and to see that it really does not end. <laughs> I can't imagine having to deal with that for a lifetime. And in a society that doesn't treat you right but takes advantage of you because you're a widow. Can you imagine? Like, but look, look at what, how she's living her life in verse 37. The widow, uh, uh, she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. You know, something consistent, there's a search by both of these people. And both of these people, we find that their search is taking place in the temple. And we know that as far as the Old Testament is concerned, the temple is the place that God has given them that his people may approach him. So what was the outcome? The outcome we find in verse 38, it says, At that very moment she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him. She's giving thanks. So what is the outcome? In verse 38, the outcome is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. What's interesting to me is she's giving thanks as a widow. Jesus hasn't taken that away. She's still a widow. And as a widow, she is giving <coughs> thanks. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is the last passage I'm going to ask you to turn to. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. A familiar passage to us, but, you know, like always, it's good to let our eyes hear. It helps me anyway. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I'm going to start in verse 16, but the key verse for us right now is going to be verse 18. Paul says this, rejoice most of the time. You know, and you know that's not 
I mean, even if even if you're not even looking at it right now, you know that's not it. Rejoice most of the time. But that's really how we interpret it, isn't it? That's that that is more like reality for us, isn't it? Pray without ceasing. So there's a there's there's a relationship here. And then here we go. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We that was probably the, the big the, the most repeated question for me the 23 years at his hill. Students would come to me and ask, how do I know God's will? You know, we always want to know, you, you know, the, we always want to know God's will for these, what we, what we describe as being the big things in our life. We always want to know God's will for five years down the road, for a year down the road. And I think it's interesting that here's the wording. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. And I've, I've often asked the students, you know, listen, if you, how do you expect to know God's will five years down the road if you don't know his will right now? And that's, I often would use this illustration because it was really applicable for that age group. You know? Let's say you want to get married. And right away, that whole classroom does this. <laughs> at least at least all the females do this. <laughs> and I, I say, okay, let's say you want to get married, okay? So the man of your dreams, ladies, comes to you and says, will you marry me? Now, he's the man of your dreams, so you're going to say yes. And then, you know, you go through the process of planning the wedding, the colors, who's going to be in it, where it's going to be, and, and it's all happening the way you want it to happen the day of the wedding. And then after the wedding... Your husband looks at you and says, thank you so much for marrying me. You've made me the happiest man in the world. We should get together sometime. And then he gets in his car and he drives off. <laughs> you know, and then let's say, and then let's say about five years down the road, you get a phone call from him. And he says, listen, I'm hungry. When are you making supper? <laughs> Your reply would be, I'm going to give the watered-down version, what are you thinking? <laughs> I said, what? And his reply is, well, we've been married for five years. I would expect that you know that I'm hungry. And your reply would be, how do I know that you're hungry? How would I ever know when you were hungry if you are never with me? We get so worried about tomorrow. When the Lord tells us what? Today has enough worries of its own. Now seek me. And so what is his will for you right now? And whatever you're going through. You know, whatever he's, you know, you want him to work in your life with something. Okay, well listen, this is his will for you. Be thankful. <laughs> what? Now the word thanks here is a different word than what we find in Luke in our passage, but it does have the same connotation. So we are to be thankful. I found a story, reads like this, two men were walking through a field one day when they spotted an enraged bull. This grabbed my attention because my brother and I had a similar experience one time. <laughs> Instantly they darted toward the nearest fence. The storming bull followed in hot pursuit, and it was soon apparent that 
they weren't going to make it. Terrified, the one shouted to the other, Put up a prayer, John! We're in for it! John answered, I can't! I've never made a public prayer in my life! But you must, implied his companion. The bull is going to catch up to us! All right, panted John. I'll say the only prayer I know, the one my father used to repeat at the table. Oh, Lord, for what we are about to receive, make us truly thankful. (laughs) His companion replies, not that. (laughs) But isn't that how we are? Not that. Not that, Lord. Not this. Not this. I want to be thankful for how you're going to fix it. But we're to give thanks in everything. You see, Thanksgiving was the reality for this widow, even though she remained a widow. This was the reality of Christ for this woman. We often think the only way that only way we're going to be able to live this life and 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 know peace and know thanksgiving. It's for God to take our problem away. But like we've said so many times before, if that's the requirement that you have for your God, then you're serving a small God. And just a little inside information there, that small God is you. Because a small God has to remove these things in order for there to be thanksgiving and peace. But a big God can not only give you peace and give you thanksgiving in the midst of the trial, he literally is your peace. He literally is your your source of thanksgiving. And that's what we see here. He is Simeon's peace. He is the widow's source of thanksgiving. Is this not shown to us in this passage? Because, folks, in this passage, and this really grabbed my attention, in this passage, Jesus is just a baby. He hasn't spoken a word yet, and he hasn't performed a miracle yet. He's just a baby. And the result of the presence of this baby is peace and thanksgiving. What are you requiring of him? How are you responding to Jesus Christ today in the midst of your circumstances? Thanks again for listening to this episode. I hope and pray that you find it to be a reminder and encouragement to live in the peace and thankfulness found in Christ. I want to remind you that this is, being that this is Thanksgiving, that we're in the middle of the Thanksgiving conference here at His Hill. And if you're not already doing so, I want you to know that you can stream the sessions live on Facebook. Of course, if you're living in the local area, you're welcome to come and sit in on the sessions. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at The His Hill Podcast. If you're interested in having any of our teachers come and speak in your church or for whatever event you may have, just get in touch with me at kelly at hishill.org and we'll work together to try to line something up. Again, I'm Kelly Darty. I'm your host, and I want to remind you to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Happy Thanksgiving.